everybody. Welcome to Alabama Care. Today I have with me my co-host, uh, John Wood, and our guest, Matt Williams. Uh, hey, everybody. We're talking about having a sibling with a disability and um, kind of like education also. Let me do it. I didn't say anything. I thought Matt did. Oh, I didn't. I'm good. Oh, okay. Okay, let me pull up the stream real quick. Okay. So, our first question is one that probably everybody wants to know. What's it like having a sibling with a disability? Just to start off. Okay. What's it like having a sibling with a disability? Um, I feel like it's not, it wasn't very easy, I'll say that, but it was one of the most, it's one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I think that, uh, you know, from the moment that my father let us know that, you know, you were going to be, you were going to be different, uh, I had to adjust to understanding what that meant and you know mom and dad were learning with me at that time when you were first born so I don't think they knew what to expect and therefore I didn't really know what to expect so you know a lot of things I remember the first day you came home you had a shunt and you had the you know you had the staples in your in your head and I wasn't really prepared for that and I didn't understand what that meant or what was going on, but it, I had to be educated. I had to learn what a shunt was. I had to learn how, uh, you know, spina bifida would affect you. And, you know, watching you learn how to walk when you were younger, that was a big piece of, uh, you know, just kind of growing and learning about you and how uh, the disability has affected the, you know, affected you. Um, it's been a it's been a very uh, it's it's a it's an experience that I I treasure and I'm always gonna treasure. So does that answer your question? I hope so. <laughs> yes, it did. Okay. You can also introduce yourself if you want to. I forgot. Oh, I guess I wouldn't need to do that. Hi, <laughs> that that would have been a good first question. <laughs> My name is Matt yeah. Williams. I'm Sarah's brother. Uh, I work in an elementary school where I am a uh, a learning support specialist. So. Part of my job is to be an advocate for students who do not currently have uh, IEPs, but are in the process of kind of getting to that point or looking at, you know, maybe it could possibly be eligible for services or special education services. That's my current position. Hmm. All right. And John, you can also talk about like your sister and brother at any point if you would like to. Sure, sure, sure. Um, being as the only person in the family with a major physical disability, um, it, it kind of allows me and mainly my brother and sister, you know, who from the get-go, even though my younger than me, you know, my sister mainly, when I learned it was the first introduced to disability family from the get-go she knew wasn't gonna probably live to I would be 
severely, severely disabled. And three, that she knew that this journey she was entering be something that she had to take on with bravery because, like I said, I'm the only one in the family with the major physical disability. And then she, she, we were even having a conversation about this uh, the other day on the phone and I'm writing a book about it. And she, she basically told me that the first <laughs> probably months after I was born, she was even afraid to come near me because she thought I was made of glass and would just explode like that. So that's mainly my big thing on it. I will say that, that, yeah, same kind of thing at the beginning, Sarah, when you were first born, I was a little afraid, just worried that I would hurt you or something like that. If I, but I think it's like that with the most babies. Uh, you know, you, my other brother, he was, he, we were so young when he was born. We're, we're 10 years apart, Sarah and I. So there's a, there's a pretty big gap there. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like that was a big piece, just, the age gap in and of itself. And I think that's been part of just my learning process. Um, I also would like the shunt and the staples and all that, because shunts were, I guess, pretty new. Yeah, it was, it was a relatively new thing. And I think, like I said, mom and dad didn't, I don't think they were necessarily prepared and how to explain it to us. So we just kind of had to go with it and learn as, as as you grew what could happen. I remember when I think you were, I think you were seven or eight. You had to have the surgery on your shunt. I believe that you like your first shunt surgery, yeah, that and was, that was uh, that was that was pretty scary. And we didn't know what to expect if it was going to how much how it was going to affect you. Um, but that that was a big. Uh, just try to look back at everything and, uh, you know, what are the kind of questions you got for us? Okay, my next one is, um, because I have a disability, did you ever feel like you didn't get enough attention from mom and dad because of, like, hospital stays and doctor's appointments? I know, like, we're 10 years apart, cause you, so you were older. Yes, yes, the, yes is the answer to that question, but I understood why you needed the attention. It was a necessity, and it's I, I'm okay with that, and I've always been okay with that. You know, you you needed that attention more than I did. Uh, my brother, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> he may need more <laughs> for you, <laughs> but you needed that attention more than I did, and I and I think it's. You've been so successful. I think getting that attention has helped that. So I'm, I'm yes, the answer to that. Gotcha. Okay, my next question actually has to do with the hospital stays and the surgeries. Um, how did you feel when I would have to have like a hospital stay or surgery? Just the that doubt or the unknowing of what was going to happen really kind of scared me. And that's why a lot of times, you know, when you, the first couple of times you had to go in the hospital, you know, I needed to be there. And I went down there and stayed with you, a couple, you know, for a while because I just, and I told mom, I said, 
you know, if you need to go take a break or take, she wouldn't leave. So, <laughs> I mean, there's no way she was leaving your side, even though I knew she was tired and exhausted and needed to. But I felt like I needed to be with you in those times, too, um, just to make sure you were okay and that you were safe and, you know, that you were getting what you needed. Um, as far as uh, when I was a teenager and you had your first surgery, I was I really freaked out that first time you had to have your shunt. Mm -hmm. You had to have your shunt. It wasn't replaced, but I think you had to have your shunt. I probably just it. had to have it fixed. Yeah. Fixed, yeah. Because yeah. that was the first really big thing that, that we were like, wow, Sarah's, you know, this is unexpected. This came out of nowhere. And uh, I knew at that age, I'm thinking brain surgery. I'm thinking, well, that's that's a big deal. That's something that's, you know, yeah. not, that, that can't be a good thing. And I didn't know how to handle right. it. But as you've gotten older and you've had more surgeries and just everything, I've, I've you know, I, I, I hate, I, I wish you didn't have to, I wish you didn't have to go through it, but I know it's something that you have to do, you know, to, right. to continue on and be as successful as you are now. You've got to, you know, you can't just give up. Yeah. I also think that might have been the one where I just went for a checkup mm -hmm. and ended up having to have surgery. Yes, I do believe it was. I think you were like, you were yeah. eight or nine. When you were right, yeah. I've yeah. had that happen to me too. I went in for what been a routine MRI on the shunt and turned out to be, hey, you've got a major blockage and you're going in for brain surgery in 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, crap, I just got checked out of school. I have to go back. I have a major test. And they're like, nope, you're getting sedated and having a brain scan and then having surgery. I'm like, over my dead freaking body you are. Yeah, but, it's not yeah. a fun experience when you go for a routine checkup and you're waiting for results, and the next thing you know, a nurse is coming out with a bunch of toys. Wonderful. Yes. Here's a bunch of toys for you. A needle. Here's Yeah, moving. at the time, Here. they gave me the toys. So at the time, and I'm like six or seven, so I'm like, oh, toys. <laughs> and then... They're like, we have to start an IV. Oh, okay. Oh, wonderful. I could go on and on. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. We are actually, like, really jumping topics. Uh, when your friends were, like, outsiders would, like, come around us, were you ever worried about, like, what they would say? About no, my, honestly, my friends were very accepting, and you you know my friends, and lots of them have been are lifelong friends. You know, I <laughs> uh, it never really changed much, but I, I will say that there were times like when you were, uh, I there were times though like where we would have to slow things down so you could you know keep up and things like that. And I had, to learn, I had to learn patience and being like, you know, 11, 12, wanting to hang out with my friends and stuff. And then, but you having to come along or keep up. That, that was sometimes, that, that kind of was an issue sometimes, but not a, not a major thing. Um, I don't feel, my, my friends were very accepting, or I've always been accepting of you, Sarah. I don't think that that's ever been a problem. Mama just posted a question, actually. <laughs> Oh, does she? <laughs> kind of goes along with that. 
Uh, how did you handle people who said negative things about your sibling having a disability, if that ever happened? Honestly, it never happened that I'm aware of. I mean, uh, I choose the people I'm around. I'm very cautious of who I'm, who's around me. And, I, and if anybody were to have said something like that, I wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have come around again. Exactly. Um, has having a sibling with a disability changed any, like your perspective on anything? It's definitely made me more aware of, um, of like the students I work with and, you know, being more like the patients that I've built up working with students, working, having to work, you know, with, work with you and uh, understanding that this is something you have to live with for the rest of your life. But it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a it's not a, it doesn't need to be a negative thing. It doesn't have to be, it, you can take it, you like you have, and turn it around to a positive. Uh, yeah, that's, that's probably what I've learned the most. It's really helped me as, as, an, as a professional working with kids, you know, who do have disabilities, uh, to kind of work with them and understand what they're going through, see their perspective. Judy Johnson said, my children have always been very protective of their younger disabled brother. Yeah, both my brothers are pretty protective of me. <laughs> yeah, I will say that. My, my little one is protective of me and the other way around. So it's like, <laughs> I'm the oldest and my little brother, who is literally a foot taller than me, is more protective over me. And I should be the one protective over him. Um, I think those role reversals, in, even in this case, are acceptable because, yes, you have the older brother, and yes, the younger brother is the more protective one, but that's still a good thing because that person knows that the other person's still going to be protective, even though he's her underdog, so to speak. That's my own. And Sarah, I, we, I would have been protective of you. Sarah, I would have been protective of you regardless of disability or not. That's just the brother thing, really. I mean, that is, just, yep, that's we're always going to be protective yeah. of our sisters. I think it not made it worse. That sounds awful. But you're more protective of me because of the disability, though. And you've. Seen I think we're protective in different ways. Yeah, you've seen what mm -hmm. I've had to go through. Right, and, and just and some of the like physical school. things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Heather says, Matt is a great caregiver. I think this stems from his early experience with Sarah. Sorry, not a question, but just something to add. Well, thank you, Heather. <laughs> right there. Um, let's see. Major differences between having a sibling with and without a disability? Uh, some of the stuff we kind of touched on already, just you have to have an extreme amount of patience just to kind of, and, but that's a good thing. 
like because everyone needs to have more patience. It's, um, I felt like you and I didn't get in as many arguments or fights as Brent and I did, but I don't know if that was just an age thing or that I just knew I couldn't like, you know, like I, I, I didn't, I knew what you were going through. I didn't want to make you feel bad. You know what I mean? Or I didn't want to try to like right. pick on you as much. Um, I feel like that could have been that, the because we are 10 years apart. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you're the only, yeah, and, you know, you're, you're my sister, whereas Brent was a brother, and just two boys going, you know, we, we would fight all the time and yeah, go at each other. Yeah, were into, like, all the video games and wrestling and all that, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I wasn't. Yeah, we tried to get you in, but you didn't want to. <laughs> exactly. They cut I, out. I do remember watching like y'all play video games all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we did all the time. <laughs> Hadn't changed too much. <laughs> Devin, I think okay, you've already now... covered. Do what? Devin, I think you've already covered what he does for a job. I think. Did we? Yeah. Do you want to introduce myself? Yeah. About that. Yep. Um. Let's go, because there was a question about the education back up here. Um, it says, how much do you think being a family member to someone with a disability impacted your decision to work in the disability field? Um, I'd say almost, I'd say it was a huge influence. Uh, seeing my mom work with her school and the different things that she did to uh, you know, set up the school in Alabama. And then seeing both mom and dad as teachers um, really influenced me a good bit. But then uh, I think it, I think working with you, Sarah, it, it helped me just be a better teacher in general. Uh, just having that patience and being able to work through problems, you know, that within the classroom and stuff like that. Right. Sorry about the background noise, guys. Oh, it's all good. Can't really hear it. My uh, brother and my Mom dad. said both of Sarah's brothers became excellent caregivers, and I really think that had to do with helping with Sarah. <laughs> Judy said, I will say that my daughter chose to go into education into teaching, but not into special education because of having a disabled brother too personally involved. Oh. And I, I can understand that. I'm, I, I could see how you could go in the other direction because you just, yeah, you know that. I'm you know, actually it's, surprised it's... you went into special ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because you lived with it. Exactly, yeah, and it, it can be hard. To, it can be hard to separate your your personal feelings about it and, and the professional. But I mean, that's just. I mean, I, I don't think I'd have it any other way. But so, have you always wanted to do, to do education? Uh, no. When I was, I wanted to do journalism for a little while, um, but then I just decided that wasn't for me. Uh, 
kind of happy about that because uh, you know newspapers are kind of going out the way and there's still journalism on the internet, but I just about anybody can kind of put up a blog or something and call it that. Um, yeah, and then I, I, just like everybody else in the world, I thought I might want to do psychology. I, I didn't do that. Then I, right. I settled on a, you know, teaching and education. And right now I'm trying to go into administration, looking at you know being a principal and assistant principal. Okay. That's, that's insane. That's, that's awesome. And, you know, honestly, not to bunny trail off, but you seem like a very smart person to be able to get into these, you know, to have these goals and to get into these, um, these avenues. And, you know, coming from somebody who doesn't really have a special education background in regards to, like, teaching, but I did volunteer with um, student uh, special education uh, for two years after I graduated high school. And I see what I honestly I see the problems with the education system in general, but with special mm -hmm. education, I don't think that you have any problem with it. It's just, in my opinion, things could be a lot better. But you seem right. to handle it right. Like you, you're right on the ball. Boom, boom, boom. You're, you're like a firecracker when it comes to these certain things. So I got my hats off to you, man. I applaud you. You are one of the smartest people I have known. So there you go. Oh, well, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, it takes uh, without my, without my mom though, and uh, you know, her knowledge of special education and then working with my sister, I don't think I would, it would be as, it would have been the path I, I decided to take. So I, I, it was really Sarah and my mom putting me in that position to kind of go forward with education. And honestly, to to get in more on that, it's it takes somebody cut from this this certain type of cloth, so to speak, to be able to do something like that. And Sarah, you can even agree with me, coming yeah. as a person with a disability, it takes a person cut from a special cloth to handle the certain stuff that you deal with on a daily basis, uh, and to handle the opportunity of getting to work with somebody or even get getting to be you know related to somebody as you know Sarah and you know I gotta say Sarah you're one of the smartest people I know and you you have so many hats and you do so many different things and I'm proud of you and I'm honored Thanks. to be on this with you. thank you um Sharon Glenn Henderson said hi. Hi, Miss Sharon. Uh, what are some cool and new things you see happening in the, in the special education field? You hear this? Uh, new and cool things in the special education field, like uh, I'm seeing where we're moving from a system of uh, moving more towards inclusion in the classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, more seeing special ed is no longer its own separate area in the building or something like that there where all the children are in like a resource room or moving more towards where you know kids are included in the regular classroom as much as possible they have their least restrictive environment um, yep. and I'm seeing a lot of kids that uh, are really getting a lot of the interventions the things they need 
not just from the special education department, but from just our general education teachers. I think that's a big step in the right direction. But I do think that's going to take a lot. And that's just at my school. See, down the street it may be completely different. I, I don't know. But I just know at my school that's what we're seeing, and I think that's a great thing. I'd like to interject on that, actually. Um, coming from a high school that has probably one of the most advanced technologically or technologically advanced um, special education departments in the state I've I've seen the advancement people going from putting people in corners to inclusion so to speak and I didn't know what inclusion meant until <laughs> I graduated in 2013 so in the last say eight years since graduation I've been able to hear the stories of students that I used to work with that are now working in you know mainstream society whereas mm -hmm. years ago they were labeled as unteachable and just put off into a corner on their own and coming as someone who went to school in the early 90s I've seen the advancement of quote-unquote panic rooms and mm -hmm. all this other stuff to where now we're like you said Matt we're having people with disabilities integrated into general education uh, classrooms mm -hmm. my best friend Ralph had uh, mild autism and um, learning disabilities and he and I were in the same learning strategies class and it wasn't labeled as special education, nor was it gen ed in a way, because you had a mix of both in there. But when we both graduated and he took on a job at Lowe's, I said, hey, this kid can do it, you know, even though he has this going on, but it's, quote, hidden. Also, it's not hidden. It's like it's out there, but he can, you know, he can still function. And that's the, right. the function different you know, disabilities, especially in this, you know, day and age, it's just like coming from being where we were 20 years ago to now, it's just like a major ball game change. Like you're, you're dealing with more people that know what the heck they're doing as opposed to someone who just fell off the turnip truck and was just pushed into general or special ed and doesn't know a clue what the heck they're doing. So right. sorry for the long winded. Yeah. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Though that's that's very true. Yeah. Um, this question is actually for me and you, John. Okay. And you kind of already answered it. Um, what would you change Bring about education from your experience in K through twelve? Definitely. My K through, I would say my K through four years were some of the hardest because you had teachers that, quote, didn't know what the heck they were doing. And you had, like I said, people that just fell off the turnip truck, pushed into special education. They actually hired on a lady for me from Washington that was teaching at a, or helping at a school in Washington. And they hired her on as my aide. 
and she was only supposed to be my aide for a couple of months. And she ended up being my aide from fourth grade until I graduated. This woman literally wow. went from school to where I was, literally got transferred to each school I was at because she wanted to see where I was going to go. And to me, that, that to me meant that the system wasn't broken, you know, that they had people that knew what they were doing and they knew where to put the certain people to make the puzzle fit together. And to me, that just felt like, you know, I wasn't being left behind, you know, I don't have, you know, such a physical dis or major physical disability to where I'm like, you know, going to lash out at you or something like that. I'm, you know, I'm cool as a cucumber. And to have somebody I can sit there and tell things to, you know, about my education made me feel better because I knew I was being listened to. And I say K through four was hard until that moment. Fourth through 12th grade was like chocolate cake to me. It was like a slice of cake because I was able to just breeze through everything and not care about, you know, getting this grade this, this way or getting that, you know, thing done because I knew I had somebody who understood what I needed and what I was trying to get, you know, in regards to my education. So <clears throat> I would say that that was you know, the turning point of education for me was and on. I am actually the complete opposite. <laughs> oh, Kindergarten through third, I went to, I went to two different schools, elementary. Um, kindergarten through third, I went to a school that I already knew the majority of them because I had gone to preschool with them. Um, okay. And then the summer between third and fourth grade, I switched schools. Um, and I went to a school where they hadn't really had anybody with a disability ever. Um, oh my God. So it was the, probably the inclusion part for me too. Exactly. Um, Cause they didn't know what they were doing. Um, I had to have an aid. Um, and they stuck me with the librarian. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, mm. but I got picked on, bullied. Um, it just wasn't a fun time. So I would oh. say more of like the inclusion thing for me as well, because I wasn't included. Right. I was more shut out than anything in that school. I've had moments like that myself. I've literally had moments where I would go on school trips because they couldn't find or would not find a bus that was suitable for me. And yeah. I remember missing out on a really good opportunity to go on a trip to Disney because they couldn't find a tour bus that had a lift or they couldn't find somebody to haul me up and down the steps of the lift because, you know, I could be carried at this point out of the wheelchair and I had to miss that opportunity. And I'm, I'm sitting here like, okay, so my class gets to go to friggin' Disney World. 
and I have to sit here and do three days worth of pre-planned work while the rest of my class goes and gets to have fun. You know what that's like to me? That's like a giant middle finger to me. Like, yeah. it's like the education system at that point telling me, nope, screw you. You don't get to go have fun. You get to go be a useless cripple somewhere else. Yeah. Pardon me while I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> Do you have anything, sir? Matt? Sarah, did you, ever, did you ever miss out on anything like that when you were in school? Like, you have examples of that where, like, it just, oh. I basically said, you can't, you can't do this with everybody else. I don't remember any Dill trips. Um, there were some stuff, like, in, like, the PE classes that mm -hmm. I just couldn't do. And they didn't have anything that I to sit there. could do. So I literally sat there Say and watched much. everybody else. Were you in a regular PE class or were you in adaptive PE? No, regular. They had me in adaptive PE for years. And the coaches that they gave us were really spot on and smart. But it could have been a lot better. So yeah. my hat's off. I don't know how you went through regular PE like that. It's like you 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 fight so hard for something like that for your you know for your own person, and it's like they basically just say no. I remember. Um, I mean, I was really young at my first school, right. but that PE coach I think made more of an effort. To include me and stuff than really? the one at my second school um i remember mm. sitting out a lot more at the second school that i was at i see but at that point oh. i was getting bullied so much that i just didn't care i think once ah, again that's okay. just that's that's training like just the teachers need training to understand what how right. you know what to do exactly and how they can change their instruction to adapt to what you know to your needs, um, but yeah, that's probably exactly what happened. Like you said, we had had at the school you were at, there had been several children who had gone through with with similar disabilities. Um, however, like you said, at the second school, they acted like they had never had any a child ever with a disability. So, I mean, that's just showing that they had probably already learned some some strategies and things beforehand through the other students they'd worked right. with. Exactly. Judy Johnson says, yes, things could be a lot better for special education. It's always a struggle to fight for our kids. I love my special ed teachers always fighting for them. You, you really got to have an advocate if, um, you know, you're looking for, if you're trying to get the services and the things you need. If you don't have someone that's you know, advocating for you and on your side, unless you have a very intense or advanced knowledge of how special education works, it's hard to, to really get everything that you need. Mm -hmm. um, I would go ahead. Do it. Go ahead. I, I thought you were going to. No, you can go ahead. 
I was going to say about the self, about the advocacy thing. Um, I guess really you have to be your own self advocate at a certain point. Um, that for me about 10th grade and yeah. I didn't know what the heck I was doing until they stuck me in the IEP and said, Hey, you're old enough now, sign your own paperwork and make your own decisions. You're still going to have this aid, but you get to do more and have more freedom. And I'm like, wow, good. Do I get a cookie and a gold star? Question mark. <laughs> like, what the heck am I supposed to do? You, you hand me a bunch of bull that I don't understand and you don't explain it to me. You just have me sign my life away, so to speak. Like, yeah. what right. am I signing? Are you taking out my kidney? Are you, you know, sticking me on a bus to China or... Like, explain it better. Yeah, my self-advocacy stuff really didn't start until middle school, high school. And that was literally just in doctor's offices because they would, mama would be in the room and they would start talking to her and not me. Mm -hmm. That's what, my health care. Exactly. I did a blog on this year or about a year ago when I was running an advocacy organization, my advocacy page. And it's just like, we need to be the own, our own advocates and not right. have to, you know, depend, rely on our parents because it's, it's, it's a whole different ballpark and we could start a whole different conversation on that. But, all right. I don't really want to get into that right now because that's just like ridiculous. Okay, Laura Lott says both of my older kids are very patient and protective with my youngest son since he has a disability. Would you say a lot of it comes natural even with younger siblings because they see and grow to understand the true struggles he has with everyday life, especially school? I'd say yes for sure. Just you know, having the experience alone is just what makes you uh, makes you more of an advocate and a better uh, a better person in general, as far as like helping out and wanting to uh, see your siblings succeed. I agree. Judy Johnson says, yes, you have to be educated in what is available to you. Parents have to be involved. My daughter, although only teaching third grade, has begun trying to help those parents because she loves her kids. Exactly. Laura Lott says, IEP, IEP meetings are the worst. I couldn't imagine my child having to go through them by himself. I know at some point he will have to learn to advocate for himself. It makes me nervous. So what age can you actually advocate for yourself? Is it when you turn 18? Is that when you're, you're able to sign your own paperwork or is it? I'm for me, uh, sure. it was 18. It was 18, yeah. Because when I, I had my... When I had my senior IEP meeting, the last one of the year, it was about a week after I turned 18. And when I sat in, and 
you know, we did the usual bowl and when they passed me the paperwork and like, here, now you can sign your own stuff. I'm like, okay, give it to me. And they were asking me my opinion on things and my decisions on things. Cause I was only like, like I said, midway through my senior, I would say, you know, it was probably the year before because I, I graduated about a couple weeks after I turned 19. And one of the last IEP meetings we had, it was when that happened. And to me, that gave me a sense of uh, accomplishment because I was like, yay, I get to do more things for myself. And I'm just going to leave here in a couple of weeks and never come back. <laughs> Needless to say, I came back for an entire freaking year afterwards. <laughs> um, <yeah>. Like, <laughs> no more meetings. Ugh, shut up, phone. Yeah, the first time that I ever had to, like, sign stuff, I was, like, like, I had my mom help me with the paperwork. So I was, like, right. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. Am I life away? Am I giving a kidney away? Are you sending me to China? What? Yeah, I also don't know if you did this, but, and I sometimes still do this, um, when a doctor would ask you a question, looking at your parent. <laughs> yes. Heck yes. I literally, to yeah. this day, dad, and he just, he's not like, he's like, uh, whatever. Your mother was better at this. And then I'm just in the back of my mind thinking, oh yeah, I don't have mom for this anymore. She's gone. So I'm like. My mom, my mom tells me that. I have to answer the question now. And I'm like, yeah. I have to do all that for myself, and I'm just like, either yes, no, maybe so, give me more, don't give me any. I have gotten I don't better care. at it, though. Me too. Honestly, it's it's a learning process. and You get yeah. better at it, and you have moments where you're just like, brain fart. Like, yeah. what the Exactly. So, so Sarah, let me ask you if you if you didn't have support from uh, your brothers, how do you think that would have affected you? If you didn't wouldn't have had our support when you were younger, if we wouldn't have been I, there, basically. Still, like I would probably be a lot worse than I am. Um, okay. Like, I I have also learned a lot from y'all, just, like, having that support. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It kind of just, like, makes me feel normal. Oh, exactly. Getting to have that support. Um, I think I would be more aware of my disability constantly. And knowing that I was different. Um, because I wouldn't have anybody to make me feel normal. Yeah. Right. If that makes any sense. Well, having a family it's, unit, you know, mom, dad, me, my brother, having that right. to help make, make you feel more like you, nice. The word you're using is normal. I don't know if that's really something. Is that, is that, is that, a, is that a, it seems like it almost seems like it has a negative connotation, but I don't want it to. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of the right way to say right. it. Right. No, it doesn't. Yeah. 
Okay. I get it. You know, coming from the perspective of being the only person in the family with a disability, you know, people learn at a young age where, hey, there's somebody in the family or in the group that's different and we need to figure out a way to include them better. And that actually comes back on the inclusion topic. You know, from a young age, my, my sister was 18 when I was born. And when, you know, like I said, probably the first year that I was born, she, you know, just being a teenager herself, she, um, she knew that one, I was different Two, I was probably not going to live three that I was probably not going to be able to do the same things that she did or that she could do. And when I got to be, you know, older, she knew right off the bat, Hey, you know, this kid's going to go somewhere one of these days and not have the help that he needs. And he's going to be able to do all these things on his own. And boom, here we are almost 27 years later. And she's sitting here wondering how the heck I'm still alive. <laughs> coming from the fact that doctors told her when I was, or told us when I was two hours, or when I was born, I would live two hours. Mm-hmm. How did I make it almost 27 years? Put it up to you. I don't know. Like, I'm still here. And, you know, even Sarah, you can agree that we're both, quote, medical mysteries because. Doctors don't know how we're still alive, how long we're going to be alive for, and, you know, all the what-ifs, so to speak, of having to find out a thing. That, that was something when I was, when you were, uh, when you were younger, Sarah, that I was very concerned about because that was right around the time when the internet first kind of started, you know, we mm-hmm. had dial-up and stuff, and I just remember researching spina bifida and finding out that the life expectancy of someone with spina bifida was very short. And that really got to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, and here you are, you're, you know, you're, you're a woman now. You've, 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 you've gone way, way past that expectancy that I, that I remember reading when I was young. But I know if the number I read was right, probably, I don't know, but that just, I remember that impacting me as a teenager. And, being worried about how every time something did happen, I was like, oh, God, please right. don't, you know, don't let this be, you know, don't, don't let this be it. And that's why I get so, uh, you know, that's, that's why I worry when you do need to go into the hospital, but you've made it through every single thing, every step of the way. And, you know, you've mm-hmm. been extremely successful and you're just going to keep on going. You know, both you and John, you're just, <laughs> like you said, medical. Would you say it was a medical mystery? That's, medical. <laughs> you know, that. Yeah. That's, and I, I mean, I'm and grateful for that. Exactly. And I'm going to try not to get choked up when I say um, this. Um, I had my last uh, shunt surgery back in 2007. And the, 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 the circumstances around it are still clear to me, even though it was a, a kind of a foggy experience. I remember having, you know, the problems and, you know, I remember losing my voice and seizures and an ambulance trip. And even the doctors were looking at me saying, you're probably not going to live through this, John. And I look, I remember looking at a doctor and saying, you don't know who I serve. You don't know what God I serve. 
you don't know the God that I serve. And they said they were that day they were telling me, you're probably going to be in here for about a week. And then when they did the surgery that afternoon or that evening, they came to me and was like, probably going to be in here till tomorrow. And exactly 24 hours after I had the brain surgery for the last time, I rolled out of that hospital and I said, I'm never coming back here for another surgery. My doctor even retired, moved to Michigan, got another job, and then retired again. She came out of retirement to do my surgery, went back into retirement, and now she's completely retired. Have not had a brain surgery. This October will be 14 years since my last brain surgery. So, do I have regrets that it's not, or that it's going to happen again? Yes, I feel like it's going to happen again one of these days. But mm-hmm. am I still able to knock on wood that it's probably not going to happen? Knock on wood, it won't happen again until I'm at least in my 30s. Yeah, and that's another thing. This week, be 30. Look at us now; we're almost 27, in a way. Like we're almost to that point where they say you're you're gonna die they said at first mm-hmm. two hours then they said t- uh, toddler then they said 15 then they said 30 and i'm like i'm approaching 30 you're trying to scare me that ain't gonna work expectations my foot yeah a similar thing happened in 2013 and this was something i was going to mention earlier right. when you were talking about uh giving mama a break from like the hospitals or whatever um when you were stayed with me in 2013 when i was in that hospital for the 36 days or yeah. whatever it was yeah I this. um but just the unknown of that because i think because i was older during that one, that one was more like, oh, I'm having like seven surgeries in a row. Um, am I gonna make it out yeah. of all these? But I think that's the one that got me. Cause I've never, before that I had never, I've been like, oh, one and done kind of thing yep was was that the shot surgery we didn't know know why it was happening Mm -hmm. didn't you tell yeah good was that the time when you when you lost like when you when you weren't able to you're no longer able to use your your legs is that the same or was that the one before okay see that that impacted i know i know i didn't I know I didn't show it, like, because I didn't want to. That's another thing as a brother that, and now that it's almost been 10 years, I never really showed that kind of emotion because I didn't want to worry you at the time. And I didn't want to worry mom anymore. But that really impacted me because I knew that you had gone so long being able to walk. And I had watched you, you know, them tell you you can't walk, and then you were walking again, and then you were walking, and then you were just getting around like everyone else, and all of a sudden you lost the use of your legs. You know, it's such an it's such an older age, 
that you know you you were about to go to college, correct? I'm, I'm trying to make look at my timeline right yeah. here. You you were about to go to college, yeah. so this was going to be a big thing for you. And I kind of kept it to myself, but it really I was really scared for you because I knew that this was going to be a struggle. Um, yeah. But once again, just like you have in the past, you've overcome that struggle. You've overcome it, you know, and you're you're great with the wheelchair. Uh, and you've, you've made life work for you. You really have. I mean, you've been able to take what you know, what you, you've been able to adapt and, you know, it's, it's made you even, even a better person than before. <laughs> I mean, even with, uh, but I was, I was seriously scared for you during that, that same, that same time frame. I was just worried because yeah. I knew losing the, losing the use of your legs was going to be a huge struggle. Yeah, uh, I'm I, you I lost the use of my legs, and I was also transitioning to college. Right. All at the same time. It was a huge, a huge undertaking at that point, and I just. Jeez. And, and I, I tried to be. To I, I was, I was positive on the outside to you, but honestly, on the inside, I was like, if it were to have been me, I, I don't know how how I would have handled that. I think yeah, that I, I feel like I didn't really show how I was handling it, mm -hmm. like, on the outside. Um, I did cry when I got my first wheelchair, um, mm -hmm. but, like, having to transition from that, um, other than when I first got it, I don't think I really showed how much it did impact me mm -hmm. because I didn't want anyone to like feel bad for me or so I feel I like we're right. it all inside. As a family, um, we're like that though. As a family, we're kind of like that though. <laughs> it's like, cause I'm the yeah. same way. I usually keep, keep things inside. inside and just try to deal with it mm -hmm. myself. Whereas I probably, you know, should be more vocal about my needs and more, you know, expressing my emotions it, it's right it's just part of our I, 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 you could blame it on genetics i don't know maybe <laughs> let's see um what about long term have you had conversations with your family that if your sibling needs help in order an older age what that will look like or who will help that's a question for you because um, I've talked with mom a couple of times about, you know, what, what would happen and, uh, you know, it, and honestly, it's whatever you want to happen, Sarah, like, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Um, you know, you're, if we need to, you know, build your house, or if we need to put you find somewhere, right. you know, find somewhere where you can be closer to us. We would always, we would figure it out for sure. And you're so independent right. at this point that really, I, I don't think that is a conversation we have to discuss too much, too in detail. But I mean, if you know, it, it, you're going to be cared for regardless. I don't by one of us, me, Brent, Dad, Mom. Right. <laughs> Somebody's always going to be there for you. And if we're all gone, exactly. then you know, we'll find somebody. <laughs> yeah, I think 
And this is just me talking out loud. Um, I think that if something were to happen to like mama or someone around here, I would want to move back to Georgia. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just because literally everyone else is there. Right. And I think I would feel safer. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if something were to like, if my shunt were to fail or cause I wouldn't be able to drive myself to the hospital right. and I'm depending on how bad it is. Um, I'm not sure I could call an ambulance mm -hmm. just cause I know how it has affected me in the past. So I think being closer. I think that would be great. I think that's not necessarily like living right. with you. Yeah, because you need your independence. Right, you do, right. and you but you need to be in t close enough in touch with people. And you know, Sarah, you brought up a very good point. Um, in having the opportunity or the you know the willpower to call, um emergency services for yourself i had that opportunity you know to make that decision when i was 23. i suffered a massive kidney infection and i made the choice to call 911 on my own and i felt honestly even in that horrible time i felt grown up because i was like oh yeah i did this for myself i'm ready to do this and it's just like you know, having that opportunity to make that decision on your own and not have somebody else do it for you, unbeknownst to your will, is like major adult right. 101, right? Like, you have right. that opportunity. Even though somebody else makes the call for you, you have that willpower and that brain power to say, hey, if something's wrong, call a friggin' ambulance or something. Right. Anyway. Right. Let's see. I'm smiling, well, Sarah, because you're. Questions. Yeah, your other your other brother is. Your I'm smiling because your other brother is texting me while on here, telling me to do product placement like during the thing. So I'm gonna here's the Sony water. <laughs> oh my gosh, Mountain Dew. <laughs> my brother's lady and gentlemen. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I need to put my phone away. I need to make sure it's over there so I don't see his text, but it just it cracks me up. Would it, would this work if I turned my phone sideways? No, because oh. you're sideways. Now we can I have my auto. There, well, kind of. I mean, I have to charge my phone, so I'm like, I'm trying to figure out if I can do it or, but we'll work with it for a few minutes. Um, Laura Lott says, I encourage all parents of children with disabilities to find an advocate. They are out there and are so willing to help. I am truly blessed with a wonderful advocate that helps me through the process of all IEP meetings and all other paperwork that I totally don't understand. Um, let me, let me, who, what was her name? Laura Lott. Lorelai. Uh, Lorelai, um, you would in the chat. can just call her Laura Lott. Lorelai. Laura Lott. Laura, if you'd, uh, how do you how did you find your advocate what did you have to do to uh get an advocate just out of curiosity if you put that in the chat <sighs> go through some more 
So she answers. Um, Heather says, Sarah, you look so pretty. Thank you, Heather. Judy says, I remember visiting you in 2013 and how long you were there. Many prayers because it was scary. Knowing how strong you were, it was a wake-up call. Oh, thanks, Judy. I've kind of um blocked some of that from my memory. I mean, I remember some of it, but right. some of it I was just like, um, I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> Light went off. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Our lights are on the sensor, so oh, I hate that. There we go. <laughs> so I'm still for too long. <laughs> this call. Heather says. Hey, let me ask you this too. No, he... uh, let me ask you this. Uh, when you are uh, when you've had the surgeries, one thing that's always bothered me is your brother and anything it would dad, mom, and everybody else is just the amount of pain you probably have to experience. So since both of you have had shunt surgeries, like how would you mm -hmm. rate the pain, Paul, the pain of those surgeries? So, you know, anybody else maybe listening can understand like what, what it's like. The actual surgeries? Um, oh, the, the, the aftermath. Like when you, when you come out of the, the surgery, what does it I would say it would depend on the surgery, honestly. Like, yeah, okay. it would be the same, like, type of shunt surgery or whatever. Right. But How about when your shunt's malfunctioning? Mm -hmm. Like, what does that feel like? How would you describe that? Um, for me, it feels like a hammer is being slammed into my head. Oh, wow. A million times. Um, and it just doesn't stop. Okay. Right. For me, it's like the constant, like, from, from skull neck. It's like, it's like a vice. Your head is being pressed into a from all angles, and you get the ringing in your ears, and then you, you know, at some point you're you know, you're just like, you can't hear anymore. And then your eyes feel like they're going to bug out of your freaking head. And I remember the last time that I had the shunt problem. I remember sitting in a computer lab in middle school and I couldn't even, t cause we were on a computer and I couldn't even look at the computer cause my neck was hurting so dang bad. And finally my younger brother at this point had to call my caregiver. By the time my caregiver gets to the hospital, to the school, I had lost the ability to talk at this point. I could not make a word. I was lapsing in and out of seizure and consciousness. She thought she could get me to the hospital 45 minutes away from my school, and she couldn't. So she called, uh, she drove right to our local fire department, which is <laughs> five minutes from where I live, and had an ambulance on standby. And they were talking about life lighting me. Uh, to the local hospital, and they did it by ground anyway because it was just whatever they were there. So it was like the unknown of, hey, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna do this, and having three more seizures on the way to the hospital, two more in the ER, and that was it. You know, seven seizures in one day is just like, 
hey, you're going to have massive brain damage. I have black spots in my brain anyway. It ain't nothing you haven't told me before. Yeah. And to this day, that is one of the memories I have that I wrote about in my first book. So, if that tells you anything. Sarah, after the surgery, like when you're recovering, that, like I've always, usually, you know, I, if you are going through it, usually you're taken to the hospital for you're taken, you get to the hospital before I do. So I only really see you after the recovery part, and I always know you're kind of in pain there. Is that pain comparable to what what you were going through prior it's to that, actually, or is there some release? It's actually a lot better. Okay. Because they've gotten rid of the pressure buildup, the mm -hmm. fluid buildup that is yeah. going on. So I no longer have that fluid buildup just sitting there, yeah. not having anywhere to go. So. I mean, there's still some pain, but it's nowhere near where it was like. Mainly like the incision where they yeah, do the, the surgery and stuff. Yeah, the incision hurts. Sort of. <clears throat> I could tell a story about that, and it's like the most horrible thing in the world. They had when they opened me up a few or many years ago. They had to open me up at the head, the chest, and the stomach, and when they did the when they um, closed the chest wound because they used the staples, they punctured the new tube. So I had I had CSF leaking out of my chest. Wow. And I didn't... Yes, it was at the point. I didn't know what cerebrospinal fluid was. I thought it was just... Because mm -hmm. it was on my... I thought it was water. So I'm like, okay. Right. But I get back and I'm leaking out of my chest and I'm like, oh, hell, this is not good. Go to the hospital. They super glue the stupid thing shut. Two days later, I'm in hospital again, having the dang thing rerouted. I'm like, you're the ones who screwed up. You're the ones who stapled the tube. So you're the ones who have to fix it now. And I went off on people. I literally went yeah. off. My parents went off on people. It was like, you are negligent enough to staple the new tube. Uh, how many brain cells do you have? Right. Like, I mean... Not to say anything bad, but I had a neurosurgeon who was quite big and had to sit down to do an operation on me. And it's just like, hello, don't give me this. Like, hello. I don't know. Yeah. Ugh. I was going to say something that pertained to that, but I don't remember what it was. Brain issue. It'll come back to me. It'll come after this meeting, I bet you. You can just text me about it. Heather said um, he needs to do Sensi product placement. <laughs> she sells. <laughs> Sensi product. Oh, That's, uh, God. Matt's wife. Yeah. She sells Sensi. Ah. Oh, okay. Cool. cool. Uh, Mama said that she is Laura's advocate. Okay. Laura said, uh -huh. your mom is my advocate. I met her at my old job. 
I was always wondering, like, what there's uh, how parents, if they really do need an advocate, where they can find one. I'm sure there's like advocate. There are advocates within the school system, but you have to specifically ask for them. They're not really advertised. If that makes sense. So it's kind of a it, it's something they already have to know about to begin with. I was just curious how they how they go about that. Um, Alabama Care said, great broadcast, Aaron John, and thank you, Matt, for being their guest. Enjoying hearing and learning from you all. Glad to be here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. This was a really good broadcast. Um, I think that is all the questions. All right. Unless y'all have anything else. I'm good. No, not the I enjoyed it. No. Matt, that was awesome, buddy. Glad to uh, know Sarah's nice brother. Yep. <laughs> it was nice meeting you, John. Hopefully at, hopefully, at one point, you'll get to meet my other brother. There you go. Oh, Maybe really? He'll come on here. Yeah, I'm an to have two. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was about... going to do one with both of them, but uh -huh. my other brother's work schedule is really crazy. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I had a cancellation myself of tonight, so I can do things. But yeah, honestly, Matt, it's very nice to meet you, and it's good to know that there's people out there like you that care so much about you know people in Sarah and mine's condition, and knowing that we have a family advocate, so to speak, that understands what we go through, what we're gonna go through, and even knowing the the what ifs, you know, having the what ifs is what um, really matters. You know, having a family unit as an advocate. So I honestly, I applaud you, brother, for what you've, you know, what you've allowed Sarah to do and what you, in turn, have learned from Sarah. Even though you being ten years older than her, you know, it's just like, hey, you're there, you're, you know, you're learning as you go along, and so. Mm -hmm. well, thank you, and I'll uh, I'll talk to you later, Sarah. All right. 